What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm Jake Lisko, one of your hosts, along with James Rapine, the other one of your hosts. You can find us on Twitter at Jake underscore NFL and at James Rapine. Follow us individually on Twitter and follow the podcast at Locked On Bengals for your daily updates on what's going on with the Cincinnati Bengals. Today, James, we've got an NFL schedule to talk about, and I think that this is pretty good for the Cincinnati Bengals. We will get into the highlights of the schedule. We've known the opponents. We've known the home and road games the whole time, so there's nothing particularly new here, but we now know the sequence of games and we know the bye week. We'll start the show with an overview of the schedule. Next week, we're going to go quarter by quarter in addition to our AFC South crossover week. We will break down the schedule on a quarterly basis and take a look at weeks one to four, then five to eight, etc. Today, we're also joined by the Athletics' Paul Daner Jr. You can follow him on Twitter at Paul Daner Jr. We talked a little bit about his piece giving a review of the Bengals offseason and just got some other general insights about the Bengals that it's always good to, to get Paul's take. But first, let's talk about that schedule. We will start with the highlights of this schedule And for me, the two things that I like the most, James, are that the Joe Burrow era starts at home as the Bengals play host to the Los Angeles Chargers, and the Bengals get to bookend their season at home, finishing with Week 17, hosting the Baltimore Ravens in a game that the Bengals and their fans are going to hope is putting the Ravens out of their misery and locking up the number one seed for the Bengals. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. I think that's how they're drawing it up. I I love the week one matchup. Los Angeles has to travel across the country. Who knows who's going to be starting for them? Is it going to be Tyrod Taylor? Is it going to be Justin Herbert, a guy the Bengals obviously got to know during senior bowl week? And Joe Burrow gets to go up against a a team that I, I think he could compete with. I get it. The Chargers roster pretty solid overall, but I think that that's a winnable game. So anytime you're starting at home, You get to hopefully debut with Joe Burrow in front of the home crowd, assuming that there will be a home crowd. That's great. So I think that you're you're spot on there. What stood out to me is the the primetime matchups. And I I said this multiple times. By the way, we nailed it, not to toot our own horn, two primetime games. That's exactly what the Bengals ended up with. But I love that they're taking on Cleveland on Thursday night football in Cleveland. It's Baker Mayfield versus Joe Burrow. I want this to become a rivalry, and I I think that Thursday night matchup in week two can be the start of it. And uh, instead of dealing with the Steelers for the next decade, uh, you know, or or the Ravens, which they're in in, in good command here of the AFC North, I would love an Ohio rivalry, bring the Battle of Ohio back. And so that game sticks out to me. I I like that it's uh, in prime time under the lights. And the other one, you started talking about primetime. The Bengals get to host the Steelers on Monday Night Football. And for the last 20 years, we would see this on the schedule and probably chalk it up as a loss. This time, with Zach Taylor and Joe Burrow, there's hope there, right? It's not Marvin Lewis and Andy Dalton, the narrative of them shrinking under the lights. And for a team that has routinely beaten the Bengals, honestly, if you look at the records, it's not pretty for the last 20 years or so, this is a big chance, in my opinion, in the national spotlight for the Bengals to shake that monkey off their backs. Yep, no doubt about it. And they will have already played. They play in Pittsburgh earlier in the year. 
But this primetime matchup is going to be huge, regardless of what happens week 10 on November 15th in Pittsburgh. Under the lights, primetime, Monday night football. And it'll be really I – th- I think a lot of people across the country are going to tune in for Joe Burrow and pay attention to what Joe is doing in Cincinnati. But I, I think this will be one of those times where if, if he can throw a couple touchdowns and have a good showing, even in a loss, that that is going to really shape the perception of what Joe Burrow can be and his potential, whether that's fair or not. So I think it's a, another huge game. And I like it. What more can you ask for than two big division matchups, one on the road early in the season, one at home, both prime time. I think the schedule favors the the Bengals relatively well in in a bunch of aspects in certainly two primetime games. I don't want less than that, and I didn't want many more than that. So I I think it's perfect for what this Bengals team is and how they develop and and where they're at in the, the, the state of this rebuild in this organization. And if they do well this year, you get two primetime games. You get a bonus probably this year by virtue of having this starling quarterback who is, like I've said a few times, the most popular player the Bengals have had since Chad Johnson was on the roster. So if they do well this year, that's taking them toward more primetime games in the future. And all Bengals fans have seen how well Joe Burrow has played when the lights are the brightest. Hopefully that's something to look forward to this year, something to get excited about rather than something to dread, which I know is a common feeling for Bengals fans around Bengals country. The other thing that I want to point out that I really like about this schedule, James, is the week nine bye. This is going to be two years in a row that the Bengals get to cut the season in half with a midseason bye, and that is what teams are looking for. No doubt about it. I mean, you look at their schedule, and there's some certainly some tough games in that first half, but smack dab in the middle is a bye and they get uh, a week off before traveling for that first matchup against the Steelers. I, I think it's a, a perfect spot and, and not much better of a, a placement of a bye week that you could ask for than right there. And then after they play Pittsburgh, they get some games that on paper right now look soft. They go to Washington, they host the Giants, they go to Miami. That's three very winnable games in a row Then they play Dallas at home. That will be a tough one for sure. Before they go to that Monday night game, well, before Pittsburgh comes to that Monday night game, I should say, I really like that there's three winnable games in the middle there. When you look on paper, you think the Bengals should probably win those games. Yeah, I'm with you. And I think that that's really when they're going to have to build some momentum. Because when you look at those games at Washington, New York at home and at Miami, compared to the final month of the season, which is, it's just rough. I mean, you host the Cowboys, then the Monday night game against the Steelers, back-to-back home games, but opponents that are certainly planning on contending for a playoff spot at Houston, which certainly isn't going to be a picnic against Deshaun Watson, and then you close out with Baltimore. Now, who knows where Baltimore is, right, or where the Bengals are, like you you joked, so who knows? But I, I do think it's uh, it's a tough final four weeks and that toughest stretch or the hardest stretch of the Bengals' schedule is at the end. So hopefully they can use those three games between week thirteen, week 11 and week 13 to their advantage to build up some momentum. Yeah, I think if there's one thing that I would switch on this schedule without making dramatic changes, I would take the Eagles game and put it in week 16 because I think it matters less when they play the Eagles. And I would take that Texans game and put it in week three because I really like Jay Morrison's point at The Athletic today, which was – Deshaun Watson might need some time to figure out how to play without DeAndre Hopkins on that team. Bill O'Brien has really done a number on that roster. They might not figure it out right away. 
But with guys like J.J. Watt, if he's healthy, and Deshaun Watson, a quarterback, I think that they'll probably get going the, the deeper into the season they are. James, what's the one thing, if you could change one thing here, without making it too dramatic, what would you do? Yeah, I would I would change the Washington matchup. I would love to play Washington early on. So you got a, a new head coach in Ron Rivera. You, you got a guy in Dwayne Haskins who's been questioned all offseason and isn't going to get to work with his receivers. And I love the, the storyline behind Dwayne Haskins versus Joe Burrow. So that would be great. If I could swap it, I'm looking at some of these games up top, maybe week six against Indy. And if I wanted to go sooner, I, I like the the Philadelphia game. If you want to move it all the way up to week three, like you did, I, I would move it there. But if you could play Washington earlier, I think that would be beneficial because maybe Dwayne Haskins hasn't hit hit his stride yet and the Redskins are struggling. Um, so that would be one thing that if they could change it and move it up, I would certainly be willing to do. I think Washington's going to be a disaster either way. I also want to point out that the report we heard from John Clayton yesterday turned out to be false. So we apologize for spreading that misinformation, but hey, we have I, an I official schedule it. now. I questioned it more than you did, Jake. Well, Just I, I feel like John Clayton <laughs> is a guy who, if he reports something, he has good sources. But maybe the guy that reported what John Clayton said misrepresented. I don't know. I, I didn't go to the source, and usually I do. But uh, we have the official schedule now, and we've talked about it. It's on the Bengals website. Go check it out there. James did an article over at SI.com. All sorts of places you're going to be able to get that information. Last thing to talk about, James. They didn't have Who Day riding around the city on a scooter this time. They made fun of themselves. They had some self-awareness. And we have victory cigars to reveal each of the matchups on social media. How do you like it? I loved it. The Bengals social media team continues to kill it. I, I like what they did. And uh, that, that's how you reveal a schedule. That's the type of video I like to see. There you go. Coming up next, we've got Paul Daner Jr. from The Athletic to talk about what's going on with the Bengals, how their offseason came to be. But, James, let's tell the good people about your favorite protein bar, the Built Bar. Jake, I love the Built Bar. I mean, they are gonna, you guys are going to get tired of hearing me talk about it because I have a Built Bar every single day, at least one, because they, they're everything you want in a protein bar. Packed with protein, low sugar low calories they they fit your macros and they taste great you're not sacrificing anything you know it's not chalky it's nothing like that it's a perfect protein bar perfect macros it's exactly what you're looking for in a quarantine snack in protein form and you can get them for less than you otherwise might have to because you listen to this podcast you can save ten dollars go to builtbar.com use promo code locked on for a ten dollar discount on your first order that's promo code locked on Bengals fans, we are now joined by Paul Daner Jr. from The Athletic. Paul, at home like James and I. How's it going, man? It's going great. I'm, I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to see James's smiling face back here, too. I mean, this is uh, these, are, these are new, fun days. Everything's new, even if it's old. Everything's new, even if it's old. <laughs> you're, you're, you're losing door handles when you're getting Amazon deliveries. Uh, you're trying to figure out how to do your job over Zoom. And you were just starting to tell us before we started recording how it's been challenging to establish the quality back and forth over Zoom. We had Zach Taylor on, on Zoom, but it was just us. I can't imagine with a room full of reporters trying to get in. You hear the awkward you know, people talking over each other. 
Yeah, the press conference, trying to do press, I mean, press conferences in general, I don't, I don't want to call them a worthless exercise, but they tend to be more for show and less for actual quality information gathered. I mean, they're very contrived. They're very, you know, you get, that's where you get your coach speak. It's where you get the very, you know, straightforward stuff. I mean, to, to get real conversation with people, you know, you really need to have better one-on-one. That's obviously better, always going to be better in person or maybe on the phone. You do a one-on-one Zoom, certainly, but it's it's sort of, it accentuates the worst parts of press conferences in general. Not that they're useless, not that there isn't good stuff that can be gathered from them, but it's sort of, it, it's the, the worst parts of press conferences are part of these Zoom, Zoom calls, because it really takes any ability to have any kind of back and forth in conversation, almost, almost totally out of the equation, but you know, it's world we're in, like if that's our sacrifice, <laughs> it's nothing. So I don't, you know, it's, we, I'm happy to do them if that's what we got. And Zach Taylor is a master of saying nothing and he, he's very <laughs> kind about it, but he's very good at saying a lot of words to say nothing. And you really have to read between the lines with him. But that aside, you must be excited to get press conferences with Joe Burrow coming up. I mean, he's, interesting to talk to it seems like in his press appearances compared to Andy Dalton who's very workmanlike about it right yeah I mean Andy James you might be (laughs) James James famously uh known for his uh descriptions of of the Andy Dalton press I mean Andy is a million things but trying to be interesting uh with the media is not really one of them and that's purposeful um, on his part, he's he's trying to keep it bland in, in similar ways that Zach Taylor's Joe Burrow clearly doesn't care about that. I think from what I've heard from our, our guys that covered him in the athletics, I can't speak as intelligently on that as Brody Miller from uh, LSU can. But, you know, he's Joe doesn't seem like he's a big fan of doing a ton of media. But when he does it, he's great at it because he's just as really himself and he's kind of got an attitude about himself. And isn't really afraid to say or do anything because um, c- of that attitude and confidence. And, and he said that that basically comes across in all the media that he does. And that's what makes guys great for us, right? They're, if they're unfiltered and honest and really just unabashedly them, we really can't ask for anything else rather than, you know, if you feel like you know you're getting some some form of company line or coach speak through your through the player, then, it, then they become dumb exercises. But, yeah, no, I, I mean, to have – Joe Burrow is a godsend if you're in the media here. I mean, that's anybody that's putting his name as a he- in a headline knows that at this point. I mean, his presence here has made the team interesting. It's made fans more positive and wanting to read more about the team. His attitude is going to be a fun one to cover, and he has national pull. His story is going to be really interesting, whether he flops or is great. Um, you know, and that's great for us from from our perspective. Paul Daner Jr. of The Athletic is with us here on the Locked on Bengals podcast. Paul, let's stick with Burrow because obviously, and and hell, I remember we talked last fall about taking a quarterback on your podcast. The Bengals do it. They get Joe Burrow. What can he do, in your opinion, for this organization to turn them around and get them in the right direction? What he did at LSU. I mean, but that goes back to obviously being incredibly accurate. Uh, having the great pocket presence, spontaneous plays, um, things that they really, you know, just haven't had a ton of. But really, 
it's a it really is about and this is I know it just sounds so old and contrived, but it really is about leadership. It's about making everyone believe like there was nobody believing this team was going to be great or this team was going to win in recent years. But Joe Burrow makes everybody kind of think that's possible because everybody has seen what he did. And there's this aura about him and they need they need more attitude and chip on their shoulder and confidence, and all the things that he possesses in their building. And they need somebody who has a legendary work ethic and competitiveness about him being your quarterback. Um, and that being the example that's set every day, does that mean that they're going to win? No, but that is what they need. Um, and great quarterback play changes everything. It covers all the warts that the organization and the roster has. And, uh, you know, it's the great equalizer in football. So to the ability to get one, uh, to get somebody like Burrow, um, it's, it's priceless. It's priceless if he can be the guy. Um, if he's not, well, then a lot of people will lose their jobs. But, um, it, it, you know, he clearly has the ability to do that. Paul, you recently wrote over on The Athletic, this is crazy inside how the Bengals plotted and executed a massive, massive roster overhaul you talked to pro scouting director Steve Raditovich, and I probably can't pronounce his name, and Mike Potts, and you even got uh, some com- some comments from the players. Raditovich even mentions, we think these guys we were recruiting in free agency, you know, they knew we had the number one pick. They had a pretty good idea of who we were taking. They think that helped. You got Brian Callahan saying, this was a plan all along, and I want to start with that Brian Callahan quote. Did you have the impression from him saying, we planned all along to aggressively improve the team when we first got here a year ago. The intent was always to do this. Does it sound like they felt like they had to wait a year because they got a slow start last year? Or did they actually try to start executing this last year and just failed? Uh, I think they were doing their best, but they were flying the plane blind. And I think they knew they were flying the plane blind. I think they were hopeful. But that's all they could be is hopeful, not knowing. Because... They didn't know. They hadn't met any of these players. They didn't know who they were. They'd never seen them play in their system. They'd never tried to make make any of it work. They were going off of, you know, assessments that you'd heard from some people that are still in the building, but a lot of people that didn't really understand what the staff was trying to do. I mean, when you're talking about having meetings, like the, the meetings about how they're going to execute their offseason this year started in January. They didn't have a coach. They didn't have a coordinator and the staff together until after the combine last year. You know, they, so the idea that they were particularly on the defensive side of the ball capable of manufacturing any sort of plan uh, last year would be crazy. Um, and it does. It, it, I don't think anybody thought it would be the disaster that it turned into. I think there was a lot of hope this time of year last year that, that this wouldn't be a complete rebuild and gutting. But once everybody started playing and realizing they don't, this is worse than we thought it was, and this personnel is just not good enough, and they could, there's just so many things missing, and you know the trying to make the culture change happen. Um, you know, you saw Preston Brown release mid-season. They never, they just, they signed him free to a three-year deal, and just like deuces in mid-season. I mean, they just this is stuff that they don't normally do. Um, and then we saw that obviously with all the contracts they also got rid of now. But I, I just I think they just realized, whoa, all of this stuff and a lot of these decisions, these guys, this is just not it. Um, and if we need to invest and figure out who the guys, the core of our culture are going forward and whoever isn't 
needs to go, and we need to find more guys. We need to get younger. We can't have all these huge cap hits that are 30-plus. We can't have all these guys that we don't feel like are working hard every day. We've got to find younger impact players at the top of our salary cap structure. And the only way to do that was through free agency and then figuring out how to how to hit that many holes at once was a matter of contriving the plan. But, I mean, you can't do that without knowing the lay of the land. And they didn't know any of the lay of the land last year. And that is that an excuse for them in retrospect? Yes. Yeah, it, they still shouldn't have gone 2-14. and 14. Um, There's a lot of mistakes in there. But as far as restructuring the roster and, and knowing how to do it immediately, you can't do it until you know what you got. And last year they learned what they had. Do you think that this signals a sea level change, a change in standard operating procedure for the Bengals going forward? Is this a changing of the guard or is this a everything's going to shit? We've seen these one year splurges before and we're going to go back to being the Bengals as the Bengals. What's your take on that? Because for me, it feels like with the cut of Preston Brown and moving on from some of these deals, there might be some real change happening behind the scenes. You're not going to see another offseason like this. I mean, you're, I don't think you're going to see this. I, I, think you, I think you will see perhaps more openness, especially if some of these pan out, to making an, a, a big move or two. They still want to be homegrown. They still want to be draft, develop, retain. That's still going to be their ph- philosophy. But this was really a unique point in time where that was the only way they could go. You know, they would rather use those dollars on extending their best players, but they didn't have anybody to extend for a couple because of many bad draft classes, and that's why they spent. I I think you'll see some more free agency. I think you're seeing that, and there was a willingness to use that a little bit more. But I don't. They're not going to suddenly be the team that does this every year. Um, they're still. I think the basically once they get their guys in place, and now they've got a lot of their guys in place you're going to see a, a more of a wanting to keep those guys and reward those guys than anything. Um, so, yeah, I mean, yes and yes and no, but I, nothing like we're not, I, I'd be stunned if we saw anything like this again in the near future. Nothing like a hard dose of cold reality from Paul Daner. You can find him on The Athletic at Paul Daner Jr. on Twitter. Coming up next, more Paul Daner. We've got 20 more minutes just after the break. Listeners of the Locked On Bengals podcast, this is your warning. Mother's Day is May 10th. The next Sunday on your calendar, while it's not a Bengals game, I think it's more important, it's Mother's Day. So we have a cool book to tell you about. There's a contest going on. You can get her this book as a gift. Take her mind to exotic India where she can sample the food. Laugh at the perils of raising a teenager in 1950s India through a new book of fiction called The Henna Artist. It's in Reese Witherspoon's book club for the month of May. So if your mom's into Reese Witherspoon's recommendations, definitely check it out. Then anytime in May, you or your mom can post a picture on Instagram holding the book or the ebook, put it on Instagram or Facebook, tag the author at the Alka Joshi, T-H-E-A-L-K-A-J-O-S-H-I. And that will lead to a donation of four meals per post up to 10,000 meals that will go to Feeding America. So go out, hit up Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Walmart, Costco, or Target, whatever bookstore you like, buy The Henna Artist today and make your mom the ultimate winner in your family. 
Welcome back into the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm James Rapine along with Jake Lisko, and we're joined by Paul Daner Jr. of The Athletic. Paul, I want to get into uh, extensions and possible extensions for players currently on the roster. But before I do that, what free agent move, because the Bengals made a bunch of them, what free agent move stood out the most to you as being a, a big impact signing this season? Well, Von Bell, because I, they didn't think they were going to, like that was just not even on their radar. One, the willingness to go there when they sort of already had made big splashes and didn't really weren't really thinking about Von Bell or safety, a willingness to not be content with Sean Williams and, you know, and say that, oh, he's okay enough, right? I think that's a thing of the past of comfort with guys that have been there just because they've been there. But a willingness to go out and do that when a Von Bell is out there and say, yeah, we're going to take him on. We're going to supplant a guy that has really been a, a great core locker room and player for this franchise for a while, who was a draft develop and retain dude who's still in his twenties. Um, and I think Von Bell is a serious impact player for them because they just had so many problems running, tackling, fitting last year on that level. And Sean was a big part of it. You look at the, the PFF stats on, on Von Bell versus Sean Williams on missed tackles versus stops. It's extraordinary. I mean, you, you're talking Von Bell at three to one over the last four years, stops to miss tackles versus Sean Williams. who's about one to one. You know how many big plays that is from a safety uh, that you're stopping. I mean, that's, that's a, that's a big deal. It's something that they needed. So uh, as much as they spent on reader and Wayne's, and you can make a deal out of the other guys that they brought in, I think bell, might end up being the biggest impact player that they have. So Paul, I look at the defense now and I, after what they did in the draft and obviously free agency, I don't see a hole. Is it, am, am I crazy here? Is this me just being way too optimistic because I've never seen the Bengals do this and I'm back on the beat for a month in, or is there a glaring hole to you or have they really shored up a, a defense that was awful last season? I'm still not totally comfortable with the pass rush. I, I am a big Carl Lawson guy, but he's any he, he's a lot of things. Reliable is not one of them due to injury history, and he, he hasn't finished as well. Obviously, a lot ton of pressures, not a ton of finishing. Um, Carlos Dunlap played half a good season last year; the other half he he loafed. Um, you got to keep him motivated. That's been part of the deal with having Carlos Dunlap on your team since the day he got here, though. Um, when he's motivated and going for it, he's great. Um, it's not always easy to keep him going, so you worry about that. I like Sam Hubbard. Sam Hubbard is probably not a double-digit sack year type guy. Geno Atkins has continuously declined every year. So while those names are familiar, and though and that gives there's some production in the past there, projecting to this year, you'd like I would like to you probably would like to have another hammer pass rusher in there if it's me. Um, so I don't linebacker is still a hole to me. I don't, you know, you still have, I, I don't know that Jermaine Pratt is going to be good. I, I don't know that any of these draft picks are like, are we going to come in confidently? Be like, yep. Logan Wilson, you know, the Bengals in third round uh, linebackers. It, it's just, it's just perfect. It always works out just right. I don't know. Any of these linebackers are going to work out. And we're talking about a best case scenario where on third down and nickel, you're talking about Jermaine Pratt, who I saw be bad in coverage a lot last year and a rookie out there together. So I don't see how you can be totally confident about that position at all. As much as I like to think 
there's a lot, there's just a lot of projection and hope there. Um, I, I still, they're exponentially better than they were last year. Their ability to run and tackle in space, which is what the NFL defensive game so much is about now on top of coverage um, is, it's not even on the same spectrum as last year, which is just a complete disaster. Really, last year, like two last two, three years, they haven't been able to run, tackle, or cover for, you know, since I don't know when. I appreciate you bringing me back to reality. Yeah, I, no, I, I'm happy to I needed that. That's why I asked. I knew, <laughs> I knew you'd, be, you'd, you know, clear it up a little bit and, and make I'm it happy, more. I'm happy to help. <laughs> and, and I think that that's fair to say. I think that a lot of this roster is currently, there's still a little bit of hope as a plan, right? But when they've actually made the moves to address the linebacker position, when they're making the moves to try to improve the defensive line, bringing in DJ Reader, hypothetically, makes things better for the guys around him because he's so good. You go back and watch him all of last year. The only guy that seems to fight him to a stalemate is Quentin Nelson, who the Bengals of course play this year. That is a pretty good nose tackle, but Paul, I want to talk about, you said the, or or somebody in your piece told you that they got three out of the four guys they targeted. Who do you think that fourth guy was that they missed and which linebacker was it? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I think it was Kwiatkowski. I, I, I mean, that would that would be. I mean, reading between the lines from other conversations, um, you know, I think that there was a lot of love for him, and they thought he would be a good fit. I didn't think they saw him getting that much that quick. Uh, which, which I mean, he he signed with Vegas almost immediately mm-hmm. and got whatever is twenty one million over three. And I think that they saw him at a more attainable figure that could fit into their structure. And when it went there and it happened fast, um, I just think that was that. And, you know, credit him and his his agency team for making that happen and getting his money. Um, But if I were I mean, I would my assumption would be would be that that they wanted to get. I mean, they talked to us how many times during all the lead up was it we want to add on all three levels. And I think they legitimately did. And they were left hanging out there without a linebacker. I mean, I think they would have loved to have added these draft picks and have added uh, another free agent guy. So they aren't doing what I said earlier, where it's like, okay, Logan Wilson's now starting day one, rather than Logan Wilson is going to be a third guy that works his way in and you hope is is rotational or, or working as he has to earn a starting spot over top of whether whoever else in the nick. I mean, that's you'd rather have that for a rookie than having to force a guy picked, um, you know in that spot to, to play immediately in defense of Logan Wilson. He is going to be on the older side coming into the league. So you would hope that he's a little bit more developed. He played a ton given at Wyoming. I think personally from a, from an evaluator perspective, he can hit the ground running, but there's obviously always a transition from college to the NFL, but I will give the Bengals credit for signing Josh Bynes, who by the time they got around to signing him, I think he was the best linebacker available. He was very impressive for a street free agent for Baltimore last year. And at least he can be out there for, you know, the base stuff, whatever that looks like for the Bengals this year. And they have rotational pieces, right? To me, they have a lot of chess pieces on the defensive side of the ball now. Adding Von Bell gives them flexibility with Sean Williams if he's still around. Do you think he's still around? And then Akeem Davis-Gaither and Logan Wilson give you some interesting pieces that you can rotate at linebacker as well. Yeah, well, that's the thing is you can 
you're not asking any of these rookies to come in and play three downs. Yeah. You're asking them to come in and do what, what, in Logan Wilson's case, he did the best at Wyoming. Come in, be a cover linebacker yeah. on, on third down. Um, Bynes can take care of the more regular situations, and, and that's what we're asking of you. We, we don't want you to come in and have to do it all right away. We hope eventually you can. Yeah, I think certainly in the case of, of that, um, you're, you're, in a, you're in a much better place. Paul, let's. Uh... Oh, Sean Williams. I mean, that's what I'm going to talk about. Sean Williams, you, you asked about. Um, I think it's a really interesting case. I wrote um, that when they were signing Von Bell, that I don't know what this means. I, you know, I don't know what Sean Williams' role is for $4.5 million. Uh, there just is a lot of places I'd have spent $4.5 million other than keeping Sean Williams around as a third safety potentially some sort of dime linebacker guy. Um, I like, and this is somebody who thinks his presence is important in the locker room. That's just, you know, if I was going to go and sign another edge rusher, a lot of edge rushers out there. I'm not talking clowny, but whether you're talking like a golden or somebody like that, that was sitting out there, you could have gone and acquired to really add to your pass rush. Hope that could be like a, a Shaq Barrett type signing last year. That's maybe a third wave guy that could really make money on approve it. Um, or or have invested a little bit more into your offensive line, right? If you had an extra four and a half million, and if you would have played your cards correctly, um, maybe you could have been a little more aggressive and try to swing a trade for an offensive lineman. I was hammering the Gabe Jackson trade thing for a long time, where I made they should. That's a perfect move that they should be trying to make happen if it was possible to really plug in a real guy at right guard rather than more of a more of a treading water piece like Suofilo is, um, you know, I, there's ways you could use that money. And if they want to keep Sean around and give more depth, and if Von Bell or Jesse Bates gets hurt, you're happy you did. Um, but I, it, I don't know. I, I didn't, I didn't, I probably would have gone the other direction, but I understand uh, the loyalty they felt to him in the last year, his deal. Paul, let's stick with the offensive line because I, I think that's, something especially casual fans look at the draft and look at what they did in free agency. And the moment they drafted Joe Burrow, I got it. And I'm sure you did too. Well, are they going to protect him? Are they going to block for him? And, and so uh, you, you look at what they did and they added Xavier Suofilo and they draft Akeem Adeniji in the sixth round, but it at least appears on the surface, like they're comfortable with what they have. Is that the case or were they in pursuit of uh, some of these free agents and it just didn't happen? What, what happened this offseason, and was this always the plan up front? This was always the plan, and they kept telling us, and people kept not wanting to believe it. And, I mean, they said it over and over and over again. Everybody I talked to, and I kept writing it, and it was, and that was on and off the record. This was not like something that I would hear, uh, you know, in a, press, in a press conference or, uh, you know, some, at the Combine. I mean, this was – everybody was saying it. They invested in their line last year. We drafted Michael Jordan and Jonah Williams last year to come in and help fix this. Found Trey Hopkins as an answer at center last year and extended him. And they view that as the fixing. And found Fred Johnson and felt like they liked what they saw him in a, in a small sample size. You know, that is how they viewed it. They viewed the offensive line fixes as being already in the house. And you're, better, in their opinion, better off and going to have better chance of success in a guy who's got a year under his belt in the NFL coming in and taking a step rather than trying to put some rookie in there. 
you know, and draft, you know, especially if you're talking basically a third rounder. Um, you know, I think if Isaiah Wilson would have been there at 33, they would have taken him instead of Higgins, but he Same. wasn't. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, but, you know, and, and, and obviously them and much of mo- the entire league uh, uh, did, were not believers in Josh Jones to the extent that maybe big draft was. And, you know, we'll see how that plays out. Um, but I, so you look at that, there was only so many spots they felt like they could uh, fix the offensive line and they're just going to go with the hope and the hope is a plan in, in much respect. I mean, there's just so many question marks. It's hard. It, it, you can you can see this turning into a total dumpster fire or actually being really good. Like, but yeah. all of them, you can easily explain how it could happen. If Jonah Williams, we don't know anything about him other than he was number eleven overall and he should be good, but we don't know. Like, we've never seen him play a down. He could be terrible. Cedric Abway, he was only picked thirteen selections after him, uh, so he could be bad. Uh, you know, Michael Jordan was bad for a good majority of last year. He could still be bad. Trey Hopkins. Is average. I mean, he played an average center. Good. That's good. It's nice to have that. Zuofilo didn't even start in Dallas. Now we're talking about Bobby Hart at right tackle and Fred Johnson. Like, we know what this is. So, again, that's all of those. You can see how they could all go bad. You could also see how Jonah Williams plays like a first-round pick. Michael Jordan plays like a guy who played a lot better the second half of last season and seemed to maybe be on the come. Uh, Trey Hopkins' average in that scenario is good. Zuofilo is an upgrade from John Miller, probably. And maybe Fred Johnson's actually good. Like, I don't know. He played two, a game and a half, and he seemed to look good. So I, I don't, you know, you can see it on the entire spectrum, but the bottom line is it's not something that you can be potentially be confident about compared to every other position on offense. I feel pretty confident can be pretty good. A lot of question marks around this team that we won't have answers to for a long time. Paul, have you heard anything this week as the Bengals are doing their virtual offseason program about how that's going? Or has it been a lot of silence from the organization as they have their own Zoom meetings and stuff going? I think it's going fine. It's good as it can. I mean, you can. Only, there's only so much you can do when you're not able to work with each other and do workouts and, and all that other stuff. And, you know, there's – you. They don't even, I mean, they don't even have the rookies in yet. Um, I don't think where is it? No, not it's next week. So, um, you know, yeah, I think that, that it, they've been doing Zoom meetings now for what, like two months. So um, it's not like that's anything new and the players are all comfortable with that stuff. It's just a matter of how much can you really get done? I don't, you know, you can do install and that's a big part of with all these new pieces. That's a big part of it. Last one for Paul Boehner Jr. Paul, let's uh, let's ask about the the sixteen and a half million estimated around there that they're going to have after their rookie deals. Are they using that towards extensions? And if so, who do you think they're going to put it towards? Yeah, um, break know, news. It, Go ahead, Paul. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's. I don't think it's hard to see what they're going to try to do. They're going to talk to AJ Green um about an extension the good news is that probably wouldn't change a ton of his figure this year when you already got him sitting there in the 18 slot um so i think that they would like to get that done maybe that adds a little bit there i i I think they would like to get joe mixon done but that a lot of that depends on joe mixon's willingness to understand that he's not going to get christian mccaffrey ezekiel elliott money like if he thinks that's what's going to happen then he's going to be forced his hand to decide whether he wants to hold out or not um, and follow through on that. 
So we'll see. I, you know, I think inevitably they, my, it, they're two very complicated, but normally these things can be complicated anyway, but you throw in the craziness of the running back market and what we've seen with holdouts in recent years. And then the crazy number of the McCaffrey got that makes that super complicated. AJ's we has been complicated since the day they walked onto that crappy turf at Dayton. So we we know the, how complicated that is going to be. My gut says they don't get AJ done, and they do find a way to get Mixon done. That's what my gut says. But honestly, that's it's it's close to fifty fifty coin flips on that stuff to me. But that's those are the only two guys to me that are on the radar. Um, so it's just a matter of. Once the July 15th deadline passes, if they don't get something done with Green, they'll move to Mixon and see what they can do. Do you think Mixon's in the, the 8 to $10 million range? I would assume that would be – I mean, that would still make him one of the higher-paid running backs in the league. It's not do close I to Caffrey. Do I think that, or does Joe and his camp think that? <laughs> That's all that do, do you? here. Yeah. I think Joe Mixon – Joe Mixon is probably in the $10 million range. And and what the Bengals would give him, and he should be willing to agree to, and that's probably his market, maybe less. Um, you know, Melvin Gordon got what eight. Um, you know, I would put him above that, and but I'm not putting him into the stratosphere of the fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. Certainly, it, to me, and I said this earlier with if I'm Joe Mixon and if I'm the Bengals, fine. It, it may. They may not eat both, both sides realize this. It makes so much sense for the both of them to just come in at three or four years and somewhere in that 30 to 35 range and get it done. You want to be Joe Mixon? Do you want to go into this year like Tyler Boyd went in the last year with his money in the pocket before he stepped foot on the training camp field or pushing the negotiation like A.J. Green did and he ends up getting hurt and everything gets all thrown into flux. Now, I'm not saying Joe would do that. I, I, I mean, if, if he doesn't have a deal, I don't, it doesn't make any sense for him to be at training camp. I'm not going to – and I don't think he would be. But to me, if I'm Joe Mixon, if I'm any running back – I'm not even joking with Joe Mixon. Any running back going into a contract year and somebody in this league is offering me $10 million a year for a three-year extension – to be a running back in this league on a second contract, I am jumping at that because you can get your leg torn up. You can, anything can happen, and we know the devaluing, and so many teams just aren't even going to be willing to pay that money to any running back anyway. It, I don't think it makes any sense to pass on that deal if that's something that's on the table, and I do think the Bengals would be willing to put a deal like that on the table for Mixon. It's a tough world out there for running backs. This is Paul Daner Jr. from The Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter at Paul Daner Jr. Paul, really appreciate your time today. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Great job breaking down how the Bengals saw this offseason come together. It was interesting to see a little bit more accessibility for those top scouts than I feel like we've had in the past, and you did a great job with those interviews. I appreciate it. Those, I mean, those guys, uh, they work hard and uh... – they deserve a lot of lot of love for the, the time and effort they put in too. So um, you know, yeah, and they're 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 really a lot of a lot of smart people in that building that are that are all working together sometimes as much as people don't hear from all of them. Well, Paul, we appreciate the time and the insight. Hope we talk to you again soon. Absolutely. Thanks, guys.